Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody, here we are again. Another episode of Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Lift for Hope. Strength Guild, USSF, and amongst other things. Um, today, Lonnie is not here. He's going to add on something here afterwards. And, but joining us, we have Ben Moore. Ben, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, so let's talk about you, man. So right now you're a power lifter, but, uh, you know, mainly. But uh, what's your background? Yeah, so I, um, you know, kind of like a lot of us meet as I got my start in uh football in high school about 15 years old we had a coach that was from nebraska big into the bigger stronger faster stuff and uh took us to a couple small meets and um kind of got hooked so yeah i've been doing uh been doing powerlifting ever since then got back into it pretty heavy in college with a fraternity brother of mine and uh done some strong man powerlifting stuff along the way so brings me up to now well, you say that like nonchalantly, but didn't you get your pro card as a strongman too? <laughs> but you didn't yeah. just like dabble in it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, let's see, 2008, I got my pro card. Um, it's kind of one of those deals where, um, you know, it was, it was my lightweight pro card, so I was a skinny, skinny version of me back then. Yeah. But um, you know, it was a situation where I had a goal to get the pro card, and I didn't really have any goals past that, so I was like, well, I'm done. So I got my pro card and, and uh, didn't really compete ever again. So yeah. jumped back into powerlifting after that. And right now, I mean, you've done both. You've done equipped and raw. Right now, you're doing mainly raw stuff, right? Yep, exactly. <clears throat> um, let's talk about your best totals. You know, you've been putting uh, best good. total equipped was uh, 2031. Okay. Uh, best total raw is 2065, so I'll let you guess which one's been better. <laughs> <laughs> and that was multiplied, too. <clears throat> nice. <clears throat> How long ago was that? Uh, that was, uh, again, probably back 2009, 2010 range, somewhere okay. in there. So four yeah. or five years ago. Nice. Um, so you just got you got out of college and just went to powerlifting then? Of course, yeah, so basically, uh, in college, I, I trained with a attorney brother of mine. Um, kind of a funny story. He actually got me out of eye week uh, for the fraternity and, and took me to train and gave me steak. So everybody else was in the basement. I was eating steak and going to the gym. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we trained together. Uh, we met a guy, funny enough, named Brad Pitt, who was uh, and competed in strongman and never competed in powerlifting. We met him at a powerlifting meet in Union, Missouri. Uh, it was one of the old SLP meets. Uh-huh. And um, he uh, started talking to us about the strongman stuff. Um, we went out and we got back, found a couple tires, a couple kegs, and um, used a trap bar for farmer's walk work and, and started training for strongman. Um, did my first show in college uh, in St. Louis. They had uh, the microbrew fest over there. And... Um, we trained for that, went over and competed. 
Um, I think I got second in the 220 <laughs> class for my first show um, behind Bill. I can't remember Bill's last name, but he uh, had been doing the stuff forever. So I felt like it was a pretty good finish. Got to uh, pick up the back end of a truck and walk with it, so that was always a good time. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, trained that all the way, graduated, uh, and then for a few more years until I um, got my pro card in Arizona, or excuse me, in New Mexico, um, back in 2008. Yes. That's, uh, I didn't even expect to get onto this topic, but it's it's one, you know, my background before, and that's how we met, was I was doing strongman. But how do you think that fed into your powerlifting? Do you think it helped? Do you think it hurt? Uh, I think it helped a lot, actually. Um, yeah. You know, I think with strongman, you know, a lot of the movements you do are, are deadlift-based. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, whether you're picking up a yoke and walking with it, whether you're doing farmer's walks or tire flips or stones or, or anything, it's it's all deadlift and, and basically grip-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have an issue with dropping deadlifts. I never have. I don't, I don't rip my hands. Um, you know, I'm probably knock on some wood right now for this weekend, but, um, you know, I, I, I've never had an issue with dropping deadlifts, um, and deadlifts really kind of been my favorite lift to train, um, throughout the years. So, uh, I think the straw man, um, the, the deadlift work, the grip work, and also the, just the, the general, the GPP work, if you want to use that mm-hmm. term. Um, fed in really well to, to powerlifting. Um, I've obviously lost a lot of it being in powerlifting for a while now, but I think it, it gave me a good transition into it. Um, and, you know, I, it's, it's easy to pick that stuff back up if I won't ever add it back in for conditioning work. Yeah. No, and I agree. And I think, I don't know, I think one of the reasons I blame, I guess I could say blame, it's probably the wrong word, but like one of the only things I've never tweaked is like anything on my posterior chain. Yeah. And I think it's due to the strongman stuff. I think it's just how much crap you do in there. It just uh, that it. it well, yeah, I mean, I, I've always talked well. about with different guys, um, you know, working in different planes of movement. Um, you know, mm-hmm. powerlifting is pretty linear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, straight up and down. You know, bench, deadlift, and squat. Whereas moving with weight, you know, picking it up, putting it on the platforms. I think you you just you you work some some um, supporting muscles you don't get with some of the other lifts. Yeah. I think it I think it helps really well going in going into powerlifting coming out of strongman. Yeah. Um so one of your training partners, JP Price, had a had a good question. It was basically he's he's trying to nicely say that you're old. But uh, <laughs> he wants you to talk about how you've been able to, you know, essentially you've been competing for twenty years. You know, yeah. so uh, across yeah. strong man powerlifting, everything else, he wants to talk about, you know, your your staying power and what what keeps you motivated, and you know how you've pretty much stayed fairly injury free and stuff like that. Yeah, you know I mean, I've, I've had some minor stuff along the way, but you know, pretty pretty well injury free. You know, I um I tend to be one of those guys that you know whether it's good or not, I'll back off in the gym um, if I'm not feeling it. So. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, um, you know, we had a couple of training cycles. We were working with Michael Greeno down at Stone Barbell, uh, on some, um, some, some cycles he rode up for us. And, you know, he would work us up to a, a pretty heavy, uh, double or triple and he'd have like three sets of four or three sets of three back off work. Mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling it that day. I just kind of shut it down. So whether I was being lazy or whatever, I just kind of, I've had to listen to my body a lot more as I've gotten older. Um, 
I'm not old by any means, so screw off, JP. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, oh, at 36, I haven't done this for 20 years. You just, you have aches and pains. You know when you can push it, when you can't. Um, you know, I, I think, um, I heard somebody, uh, I heard Brandon Lilly say, um, you know, over the past couple of years, you know, when, when the skillet's hot, cook. And mm-hmm. by, by saying that, you know, when you feel good, you, you push it. When you don't, you don't. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of what, what my mentality has been. Uh, my motivation as far as that goes, um, it's kind of twofold. You know, I, I played sports in high school. I decided not to play in college. Um, had a couple Division two offers for football, but um, decided not to. Went off kind of on my own, away from all my friends to go to college, kind of do my own thing. And, um, you know, uh, it's just one of those things where, uh, I needed something, a competitive outlet. Um, you know, I don't drink anymore. I don't go to the bars and do all that stuff. So I needed something to kind of fill my time. This is my hobby. I don't golf. Um, you know, it's just one of those things I kind of pour my heart into. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I've got three little girls, and I want to be the intimidating dad when they start dating. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you there. Um, so you got a meet coming up, what, Saturday? Yep, two days. Right. Two days away. Yeah, so you're so you're full on meat prep. You're dropping down for this one, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh I was walking around about three twenty, I'll compete at three oh eight, so you know yeah. I cut twelve pounds by the time tomorrow rolls around. I'm I'm still mm-hmm. about seven out today. Okay. Um and I'll just I'll cut my water off. I'm actually drinking my last glass of water right now. I'll cut that off around noon or one o'clock and then um, you know, roll into the to, to weigh ins tomorrow morning at ten AM. Nice. So you're probably full of several gallons of water right now then, huh? Yeah, you know, I did yeah. in the past three days. I've been pounding about three gallons of water a day. And then uh, today I'll I'll get right at maybe three-quarters of a gallon before noon or one o'clock, and then I'll shut it down. So 12 pounds isn't bad. I mean, I've cut more than that. But for a big dude, it shouldn't affect you much, wouldn't you say? No, no, I, I don't think yeah. so. I mean, I, I uh, the last meet I did, which you came to judge at our gym, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was traveling and, and trying to cut weight. So, mm-hmm. you know, couple the fact that I didn't know what I was going to be eating every day, uh, and also trying to get as much water in as I can while sitting in meetings all day. That was, that was a little bit rougher than this one is. Um, but, uh, you know, it's 12 pounds is not bad. You know, doing strongman, I was walking around about 260 cutting to 231. So that was, oh, yeah, that was a little yeah. worse. Yeah. And that's what I think my last meet at 242, I cut. 32 pounds or something like that and it was like no more man i'm too old for that crap <laughs> you know i i think i think you know 10 percent or lower is a mm-hmm. good amount i even think five percent is is probably my max that i want to cut right now after this meet i'm just, i'm going to continue my journey try to get down to about two 280 285 and stay there and cut to 275 so so what's your goal for this meet 2100 2100 yeah that's been uh, it was my goal last meet. Uh, if I would have hit my my last deadlift, I would have got it. Uh, tried gotcha. to hit 804, get stuck just above the knees. Um, and um, you know, I think it's hopefully there today. I, I don't know if 804 is there, but I know some of my other lifts are out. So we'll go. Let's talk that. about let's talk about meat peaking. How how long of a peak do you guys take? I know we got a lot of people that are listeners that are going into their first meets within the next month or two. Uh, I think there's one guy going down there. Um, 
What's your guys' cycle look like coming up to meet? How how far out do you guys start start training for? Yeah, so our our meet cycle um, lasts about ten weeks. Uh, okay. We can usually get um, everything we need to done in about ten weeks, and that includes some initial building work, um, and then the last four weeks really is is hitting openers and, and second attempts, whether it's straight weight or with, you know, reverse bands or chains or whatever you do. Um, and then, um, you know, last week being that we take pretty much the week off. Uh, so last Sunday I did my, I worked up to my last warm up on squat and, um, did my opener bench to a one board to save my shoulders a little bit and, uh, and then shut it down. I haven't done anything else all week. So it's what one week out, or you're you're still going pretty hit. Well, I guess one week, week yeah. to ten days or so. You're yeah, still it pushing about, things pretty actually, hard. It ended up being about six days. We squat and deadlift on Sundays. So okay. yeah, my 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 last Sunday, I did. I uh, worked up to six eighty five, which is which will be my last warm up in the warm up room on squat, which was was really quick, and then and deep, and then. Uh, I uh, worked up to 455 to a one board on my bench and, and just shut it down after that. Didn't really do anything. So you're still talking. So a week out, you're talking. You're still only hitting 85 percent or so. When's when's your last heavy heavy lift? Uh, usually about two weeks out. I did. Um, I worked up to my second attempt with reverse bands. Actually, I take that back. I worked up to my third attempt with reverse bands. Um, I just started working with jo- Jonathan Bird of, of 1020 Life. We changed some things around this time. Um, but uh worked up to my third attempt, which will be around 835 or so, uh, with reverse bands, and, and it went really well, about two weeks out. Um, so we did opener straight weight, reverse band, third attempt, and then, uh, you know, just some, some light accessory work at that point. So what would you say? Let's let's try and give some tips for somebody that's new to it. I don't know your your top three advice for for somebody coming into their first meet. Yeah, um, you know, just stick to the basics. We all preach this all the time, but you know, don't get caught up in a in a ton of of um, accessory work or adding boards or chains or bands or anything like that. Stick to the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to take you the furthest, and they're going to be there you know, continuously throughout your training years. Um, that'd be number one. Number two is find a group that, that you uh, that you get pushed in. Um, you know, being new, you're going to get pushed by anybody you find, but find a group. Um, you know, I travel for a living um, over about a three- or four-state area, and usually I can find a group to train with wherever I'm at. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of resources now with uh, Cal, Calbeck's Starting Strongman deal and then uh powerlifting uh watch has their meet list or their gym list mm-hmm. um you can find places to go wherever you're at so there's no excuse not to find a group yeah um you know the final one is um you know pay attention to your food um you know it's it's a it's a small but huge piece i guess um you know it's the last thing people think about sometimes um mm-hmm. they don't, you're always thinking about getting in the gym hitting bigger numbers but uh, you know, sometimes those stalls and those um, tough workouts are because you didn't pay attention to your food for the past couple of days. It, could have been, it might not have been that day. You might have eaten really well that day you trained, but well, what did you do the day before, maybe two days before, that caused you to have a down day? Let's talk about getting big and strong for a minute. I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of it now. 
of maybe more than even before. You're seeing people that new guys that are looking up to people like, I don't know, let's say Mark Bell or Dan Green and stuff like that. And I don't know. To me, they're getting a misperception that you can just start off and it's like, oh, you know, two years to jacked and strong. And the problem I'm seeing is what they, they fail to, to see is somebody like Mark, he was like 340 and not Jack, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I don't know, you're seeing a promotion of this. Look, you can just be huge and jacked and strong and lean at the same time. And uh, it's usually coming from people that, you know, prior they just got fucking big, <laughs> you know, and then they cut down to that. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you see it the same way? You're you're on that, that journey now. So yeah. you were three three. 20 plus and now you're going down to 280 and that's always been my argument that you know if you want to be 260 and jacked you better get up to 300 plus and yeah. just freaking strong it's the fastest way to get there yeah um, would was, you agree yeah i mean i was uh january at the expo i was i was pushing 370 mm-hmm. so i was i was just on the south side of 400 which yeah was rough but uh you know, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I've always, um, you know, I was taught a long time ago to maximize your weight class. So, yeah. you know, whether it's cutting a few pounds to get to the lower weight class or, or, you know, whatever you do to do that, you just want to be on the top end of your weight class to walk in. Don't, mm-hmm. don't give up anything. But, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to add some fat and add some mass to get strong and then, you know, um, cut down to, to, to be leaner. Um, yeah. You know, I did it with strongman. I um, when I graduated high school, I was 195 pounds. Um, started powerlifting and strongman in college. Got up to probably 217, 220, um, and then graduated college and went to hell in a hand basket. But uh, uh, you know, I've, I've since college 220 to 370 was my biggest jump, um, mm-hmm. and. I've done a lot of stair stepping in between there. So I went from, you know, 220 to 260, cutting to 231 for strongman. I got out of strongman, went to roughly 275, 280, competed there. Um, went up to 300 and then cut back down to 280. Uh, then went up to 370, now cutting back down to 280. So 280 seems to be kind of my, my median. But yeah, you're gonna have to do that. Um, yeah. you, there is a big marketing hype of being Jack and Tanner or whatever you want to <sighs> say. Um, but you know, it's you didn't start out that way. Just look at just, no. just, watch, just watch the the, the major mo- the major motion picture of his brothers, and uh, yeah. you'll, you'll see where he was before. Well, and I think it's uh, it's also a misperception. We get guys like I had this conversation with a new person that just started my gym a week ago, and. He's like, "What are you weighing?" And I was like, "I'm I'm about 275." And he's like, "Man, you're pretty fairly lean for 275." I was like, "Well, what you have to?" He's like, "How do I do that?" You know, essentially is what he's getting into. Yeah. And the thing was, as I had to explain to him, I was like, "Well, 15 years ago, when I walked into my first powerlifting meet, after I was done doing strongman, I was like 218." Yeah. So when you do the math, you know, the heaviest I've been so far is 280. Yeah. That's like. Uh, 60 pounds in 15 years. <laughs> so yeah. you're talking, you know, and you do the math on yours, and essentially in 20 years, it's about eight pounds a year, you know, to get yeah, up to 370. It's, it's not and a it's huge, a long haul. Yeah, man. and that's the thing. I mean, you, it's just like the fitness industry and just this whole industry 
in and of itself, you, you people are looking for quick fixes. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. been fortunate enough to be working with uh, you know some some supplement sponsors and things like that, and I get those questions all the time. But you know, it's it's not a quick fix. I've been doing this for yeah. 20 years, and I'm not where I want to be either. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think traditionally you look, especially in powerlifting, um, and you're seeing it some in strongman too, I guess, with uh, Savickas and stuff like that. But definitely traditionally in powerlifting, until very recent years, it's been guys were peaking out in their late 30s, you know, early 40s is when they got seriously strong. I mean, Ed Cohen hit his best lifts there. Um, you know, across the board, most of the lifters were, were at their best at that age. And I think it's just... It takes that many freaking years to get that strong. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I call it I call it your old man strength. Yeah, um, you know you get uh, I've always waited around for my old man strength to get here. I don't think it's coming yet. <laughs> we'll see if it does. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean I I think that you know there are some exceptionally strong young guys with you know Eric Lillibridge and and mm-hmm. uh, you know Dan Green is not old by any means. Um, mm-hmm. You know these guys coming up are. are are getting extremely strong. Um, you know, I, I I worry about that though because I've seen some phenoms in strongman and powerlifting yeah. both that burn out after a few years. And that's what I'm wondering too is how uh, it's going to be interesting to see the longevity. Yeah, uh, it really is. I mean, when when you when you're pushing a thousand pound squat at twenty something years old, you've pretty much done it all. I mean, what yeah. what, what are you going to push towards? <laughs> You know, when you're in your late thirties, besides maybe a wheelchair, uh, <laughs> depending on what happens. But um, yeah. you know, I, you know, I wish all those guys the best. I just, yeah, that's my biggest worry with some of the younger guys coming up. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else do we want to get into. I, I the, the whole powerlifting drama thing has been a bit played out. Um, yeah, I'm over that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. I don't know. We can talk about food a bit. I mean, you kind of stressed it. I mean, what what is a what does your diet consist of? I mean, I know it's just you got to eat a lot, of course. I mean, anybody yeah. I mean, I I, I worked with um with a, with a guy for a little while uh, on my diet, and um, you know, paid him some money to to write a diet. So it was good. Um, but what, really, what I got out of that was what macros I needed to to kind of be where I wanted to be. Um, mm-hmm. so I've tried to make it as simple as possible over the past few weeks to get back down to where I want to be. Um, you know, I wake up, I have, you know, some eggs, um, combination of eggs and egg whites. Um, I try to keep some whole eggs in there just for taste and sanity because mm-hmm. I, I can't eat a bunch of egg whites, but, uh, add, you know, a couple ounces of cheddar cheese, sriracha or, or Frank sauce are kind of my go-tos in the morning. Uh, I don't eat a ton of carbs in the morning um, just because I feel sluggish. I have a hard enough time waking up. Um, I don't need any help in, in falling back asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was shake mid-morning. Um, usually add some sort of fats to that, so peanut butter and maybe throw a handful of almonds or something in it. Um, usually get about 50 grams of protein out of that uh, midday. Uh, depending on if I'm cutting or not, uh, I'll either grab a foot-long sandwich from, uh, you know, Subway or something like that. Um, or uh, if I'm cutting, it'll be something like, um, you know, a couple chicken breasts, some green beans, and and the like. Um, another shake mid-afternoon, and dinner is 
usually, uh, you know, pretty balanced with um, some sort of complex car, whether it's, you know, rice or, or potatoes or what have you. Um, some more green beans, possibly spinach, um, just something green in there to keep the fiber going. And um, then, the, you know, either red meat or, or some more chicken for the end of the day, depending on where I'm at with my diet. So, I try, like I said, I try to keep it simple. I was talking to my wife about this is, you know, it's, it's easy to say you're going to do all this stuff with your diet. You're going to do all this stuff with training, but the, you know, sometimes you need to make it boring to be able to make progress for a little while before you can change mm-hmm. things up. All right. Speaking of wife and kids and jobs and whatnot, I mean, the biggest excuse I hear from people is, you know, I don't know. I'd be a hell of an athlete if I didn't have a life too, or this and that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, but most of the, most of the successful strength athletes I know, are not only successful in strength athletics, but they also have a life. Uh, they're usually successful in their careers. They, they usually have kids and a wife, too. Let, that, how do you balance all that? I mean, where do you find the time? You know, um, we, we've gone through our stages. We've gone through the stage where she hated everything I did. So, <laughs> uh, you know, because I was getting a little bit too overzealous about things. Um, you know, you have to find a balance. Um, whether mm-hmm. that's, you know, JP and I were just talking to some of the guys on our team at Impact Elite. Uh, him and I in September are probably going to start training early morning just because mm-hmm. uh, his job ramps up in the fall. Um, I'm starting a new job. So it's it's going to be a situation where, you know, we, we need that evening time to, to spend with family or get some other things done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've I've gone anywhere from training in a commercial facility like I am now um, and trying to, to work around other people's schedules. Uh, I've, I've trained in the mornings if I had to. Uh, we had a, a little key club gym in the basement of a haunted house in, in the West Bottoms of Kansas City for a little while. Um, you know, going down there at 5 a.m. was always an adventure. You know, almost got jumped in the morning. Um, and then, you know, I've also done it where I've had the stuff in my basement or my garage. Um, you know, my garage well. You tore your bicep up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and even then, when my kids were younger, what I would do is get them to bed, and I, I might be down there training at 11 o'clock at night just because that's the only time I could get it in. Um, you have to do you have to do that stuff and work around schedules. You've also got to maybe, you know, um, pair back on, on the amount of, of training you're doing. Um, I made my best progress in strongman doing one upper body, one lower body, and one event day a week, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could get in to do other stuff, you know, mobility or whatever on my off days I did, but typically it was three days a week and that was it. Um, this whole training, this whole past training cycle, uh, leading up to the meet this weekend, it was three days. I, I squatted and benched on, um, or excuse me, squatted and deadlifted on Sunday, uh, benched on Tuesday and, um, did an accessory day on Thursday or Friday and that was it. So you just have to you got to find a balance. Talk with your spouse or your loved one. Um, you know, try to try to fit it in around um, things that you know you have going on. My daughter's a competitive gymnast. She trains twenty to twenty two hours a week, uh, about thirty minutes away from our house. So you know, there's travel time to get down there to get her. Um, so I'm typically again in the gym late, um, eight or eight thirty at night till ten o'clock, and that's what I have to do to get it in. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I was gonna. You touched on the three day a week thing. I mean, that's something I'm noticing more as I got. I guess I'll call ourselves old again. I'm getting old. <laughs> getting older, 
And, you know, I'm doing better on less days. You know, two to three days a week, I can go in there and still get after it hard. And I'm getting stronger and I'm recovering. Yeah. Um, you're seeing a big push nowadays for the frequency training is getting big and this and that. Of course, all that stuff cycles around. Next next year, it'll be, you know, infrequent training. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's something to be said about it. I mean, I, I think, I don't know if it's age or just training age or what, but um, at a certain point, it doesn't take as much to do as much, uh, for lack of better terms. You know, I can get in there and get, get quality work done. And at this point, it's more about me feeling good than it is anything else. You know, yeah. if I'm not hurting, I can get quality work in and leave, and I get stronger. Yeah, um, and that's, I think that's the truth. I mean, there's there's two things that go on there that I, I believe happens. Is, you know, you get older and you know what you need, so you mm-hmm. don't spend as much time screwing around in the gym. Um, you know, I, we can all go in there with our team or whatever and spend three hours talking and not get a whole lot done. Yeah. Um, I tell all my guys that, hey, I've got a specified amount of time to get in and out. And that's it. And you know, if you guys want to keep up with me, that's great. If not, I'll be out. And you guys continue to do what you need to do. Um, but you know, it's um, it's that. So you, you figure out what you need. Um, I also believe that, again, like you said, um, you need it for recovery's sake, and you get you get a lot a lot more done with a lot less because you are able to recover more. So if I squat and deadlift on Sunday and I'm not doing it for another week. I know I'm not going to be hobbling around trying to get down to the bar when I deadlift, you know, two or three days later. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think we'll call it there unless you got any bits of uh, last advice. You want to give any shout-outs to anybody, any sponsors or anything? Yeah, I mean, shout-out to, um, you know, Impact Elite Powerlifting. Uh, we started mm-hmm. that, you know, about a year ago, and it's it's grown like crazy. We've got a lot of good guys and girls over there. Um, you know, obviously my sponsor's Power Valley Gear. And uh, Supplement Super Source and All American EFX. Um, that's about it. So I appreciate it, bud. That'll work, but yeah, I'll catch up with you after the meet. And I'll actually see you down there. I'll be down there handling Greg, but uh, good luck. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lonman7. 
on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. Uh, we're in the second half of the show now, of course, and we're sort of asynchronously recording. We've got this stuff from Phil already. Um but I'm just here to talk some gem talk, and I've got John Mike with us, our occasional co-host. Uh, maybe just introduce yourself, John. Sure. Uh, John Mike here, uh, finishing up my doctorate in exercise phys. So doing data collection now. I'm a columnist and team member for uh, Elite FTS. I've competed in Strongman numerous times and write for other numerous uh, fitness magazines. So always great to be on. Awesome. So... What are you doing in the gym? I mean, I know last time we spoke, you said your squat was looking, you know, at least feeling good for you. So maybe yeah. tell us about that. Uh, you no, know, I, I, I did a, I did five hundo this past week, and I know, I mean, I still think it kind of sucks, but uh, at least it's you know better than it used to be. But uh, you know, I actually uh, free squatted um, for the first time in probably like six months. I was doing all my main squat. Um, training with box squatting, um, both with speed, you know, using different bars, um, a lot of chain work, and some bands. Um, I haven't pulled traditionally, uh, deadlift traditionally, in probably six months. I've been doing all sumo, both with speed and chains. You know, hammering the weaknesses hard. You know, lower back, posterior chain, and so I just went in there this past week, and I was like, I wanted to free squat, and I wasn't really think I wasn't had an idea that I want, I was going to do a max effort. So I just free squatting, everything felt good, and just went up. And I probably had about a good five thirty in me, but you know that five hundo was the tenth set, so I was I was already kind of tired just from doing a, a little bit of extra volume. The next time I do it, I'll take bigger jumps instead of taking like more smaller jumps. But you know sometimes you just kind of have to feel it out. And so probably my next like big max effort with the free squat probably won't be till the end of the year. And I've been doing a lot of different conjugate types of training and, and methods, and I really like it. Um, you know, you switch up the stimulus, you know, fairly often and, um, whether it's with the max, uh, whether it's with the main lifts or like the accessories and, um, you know, speed has always been kind of a weakness for me in terms of the squat and dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've been doing the same thing with overhead pressing and, uh, it's working really great. Awesome. So how long has your off season been? I mean, I know you're finishing up your PhD and that's gotta be a big focus for you. Has it been about a year that you've been cycling like through conjugate stuff about the last year and a half i was just doing three days a week like total body training and that worked really well so it was kind of a combination 
of some linear and but mainly like you know nonlinear or undulating. And so I got good results from it. But as time went on and and, and as I got stronger, a lot of the weaknesses start to really come out. And of course, I mean I've been training for 15 years, but um, I just needed to go to I needed to just start doing something else and go go to the next level. So I just started doing some conjugate stuff, and you know a lot of people don't like it, but I, I do think that the reason, one reason possibly that they may not like it is that they don't do it long enough to see any type of result. And, and the same thing can be said about like box squatting. I think box squatting is harder than regular normal free squat. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people just criticize it like box squatting because one, they really just don't know how to do it right. And two, they're not doing it long enough to see any type of big result. Um, in terms of transferability, you know, to, to to free squat. So, I mean, I know it's used in powerlifting quite often, and a lot of strongman competitors, you know, also use it. So, right, yeah, yeah. The stuff I was reading was more. Um, there was this debate as to how much it applies to athletes, whether you should do stuff like, you know, the speed work and bands and chains and mixing up all this sort of conjugate e sorts of things for more than a twelve week period. And I'm not sure, you know how that debate where that comes from exactly but it does make sense to me that you know it's just like the mesocycle thing some people are going to do like 10 or 12 week blocks and then maybe it's time if you're if you're loving it you know and you want to just reset and continue with that approach great if not like you said whole body that that frequency stuff that's been working for me this summer like you and i were talking about you know i'm just really surprised about the hypertrophy because instead of that old school sort of push-pull program, you know, where you do chest and triceps on every Monday and back every Wednesday and legs every Friday, that's only stimulating that muscle group once a week. And if you look at the protein synthesis literature, you only jack up muscle protein synthesis maybe 24, 36 hours, you know, that sort of thing. And it only takes maybe three or four sets uh, to really turn that on. So Mm -hmm. at my point in the game, when I'm not trying to just get, you know, maximally strong uh, at all costs, you know, like recklessly – uh, the three days a week whole body stuff, um, if you can overcome the boredom, uh, because there is a little bit of boredom because you don't get that theme, like theme approach, like, oh, it's chest day, you know. But, um, yeah, just squat 315, I'll go bench 250, then row or pull, you know. I mean, these aren't numbers that are going to excite a lot of people, but you can't go super balls to the wall because Wednesday it's coming back at you, you know, 48 yeah, hours and, later. And it depends on how you're setting up your programming. You can – when I'm when I've been doing it, like if I do say you know squat on Monday, I, I'll typically rotate out the main lifts every, every like seven to nine days. So it's typically around closer to eight or nine days. So if I say squat or deadlift on a Monday, like I won't do it again until like the next Wednesday. So there's a good you know nine nine days you know in between. Right. Uh, so I mean you're not gonna. I just don't know how people can squat you know he, even heavy you know, three, four, five times a week. I mean, I know, you know, Olympic weightlifters, you know, do that quite often because that's just part of what they do. But I don't know, I don't really know any powerlifters or strongman competitors that that's that squat, um, whether it's box or free bar or whatever, three or four times a week or, or even right. like two. Right. Yeah, for someone like myself, I mean, I was always proud of the fact that I'd work up to 405 for a couple of reps, you know what I mean? And so limiting it at 315 – it allows me to do that. You know what I mean? It's not like this devastating experience. You know, plus then if I do legs first in the in the sequence on a Monday, let's say, 
and then I do chest next, I'm not completely spent for my chest work, you know, because I just did like three or four sets of squats. You know, that's kind of all I did. So it's almost a, I don't want to say it's a circuit because I do all of the legs first, then I do all the back, then I do all the chest. And sometimes I, I rotate, you know, I'll start with a different movement. Maybe I'll do back first, you know, mm-hmm. and, and because of my bodybuilding interest in, in the past, I don't have a problem. I mean, this might be blasphemy for some power guys, but I'll do leg presses instead of squats sometimes, you know, if I feel stale or, you know, or like I'll work upper back and traps and that sort of thing instead of more just lats, you know, and lower back stuff. So that's one of the ways um, I deal with that. I've been doing a lot of the rear foot elevated split squats for a while and man, those just blow up my quads. Uh, They're they're awesome. Can can you explain them? Explain them. Typically a rear foot elevated. So if you're just if you're in a, uh, a split squat type of position, if you just did a normal split squat or some people call it like split lunge, so your rear foot is elevated up on like, you know, a lower box or um, just on a, a normal um, height bench um, and you're upright and you're just kind of dropping your hips, you know, to the ground. You're staying upright with your chest and it's a single leg movement. And, and, and say if you're working your left, you know, your left leg or left quad, then you can offset the load, meaning if you're doing your left leg, then you could hold the dumbbell or weight like in your right hand. Um, so you have some of the offset load, you know, mm-hmm. rear foot elevated, and yeah, it's a it's a it's a great exercise for um, assistance lift for um, you know quad strength and development. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! I'll tell you, I, I know you're a fan of this too. I mean, sometimes I could see people getting too excited with accessory work and other things, but. I did a little experiment this summer, and I didn't tell you this about uh, about this uh, last time we spoke, but I hurt my heel, and some listeners know I ran all over town in some flat skater shoes, and I really messed up my heel. And I got to the point where I'm thinking, I keep going back in the gym and re-injuring it. i got to let it heal. So I bit the bullet, and I'm not kidding. This, is, this was almost impossible for me to do. I did not do legs except quad extensions and hamstring curls for six weeks. Oh, wow. And, and I thought, you know what? Let's try to stay positive. I'm going to do the intellectual inquiry here, and I'm going to think, can I maintain size at all with quad extensions and hamstring curls? You know, because I'm taking leg presses and squats out of the picture, stiff legs out of the picture, because I had to do things that didn't put weight on my heel, you know? So the short answer, no, those things don't work. <laughs> <laughs> my legs got really small, you know, um, and then when I, I just recently started putting squats back in, my legs are blowing up. So right. it's just funny to see it for real. I mean, most lifters would say, well, I could have told you that. I'm like, well, could you? Because that's common knowledge if you're a traditionalist, but to really see it, you know, uh, like I've even seen EMG work that squats activate, you know, the, the quadriceps and a lot of the, you know, major muscle groups better. Uh, than some of those isolation movements, but man, oh, no this, doubt, was, yeah. this was firsthand. Just those movements are finishing movements at best, you know. And it makes me sad almost to watch young men who are trying to build mass and they're doing set after set of hamstring curls and quad, you know, quad uh, extensions. And it's like, oh man, you know, maybe a little finishing work at the end, quad fellas. But it's overhead, yeah. Um, I actually think leg curl, you know. Is a pretty good exercise if if you are incorporating it with other hamstring movements, you know, yeah. stiff leg deadlifts, yes. good mornings, and if, if you're if you're, you know, doing deadlifts as well. I mean, people need to understand. I mean, the hamstrings are pretty involved with, with 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 deadlifting. But if you're if you're doing line leg curls in combination with all those things, 
Um, I think you get real, pretty good hamstring development, and it's a pretty good exercise. Doing the exercise just alone, I don't think is going to do jack. Yeah. It, the real thing for me was, you know, let's compare the isolation kinds of movements, you know, to a nice compound movement like a bread and butter move like the squat. And I was just – I was almost shocked. So I'm like, I am doing this three days a week, you know, as as part of my, you know, higher frequency three times a week whole body routine that I've been doing. And uh, everything else was growing really nicely. And I just watched my legs shrink. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, they can't even – those movements didn't even maintain the mass that I had, let alone build more. Right. You know, and again, I know they're used mostly for stuff like separation, or some people talk about burning in some striations. I don't know how accurate that really is, but um, yeah, as a finishing movement, they're great. You know, I suppose, but I was, I, I just wanted to see. You know, since I was hurt, I thought, well, this gives me a chance to to test this little, you know, theory. Like, can I even maintain my quad size? And not so much. And for people who might want to throw a stone. My whole family's really bottom heavy. I mean, I've had 28 inch thighs, so I am, it's not like I've got bean pole legs, you know, that are just <laughs> going to waste away, but yeah. I swear to God, I lost two or three inches off my thighs. It I mean, was if you look bad. at some of the EMG research out there, I mean, I th- like I said, I think lion leg curls are pretty good exercise. I mean, you're talking, if I can remember right correctly, you know, semi-tendinosis and semi-membranosis for like lion leg curl activation. And then we're for like stiff legs, you know, good mornings or glute ham, you get a little bit more, you know, bicep for more. Right. Yes. You know, it's, it's by itself, it doesn't do anything, but in combination with those other main lifts or accessories, you're, uh, you're, you're much better off. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I suppose it depends on your goals too. Right. You know, like a lot of bodybuilders like that sort of hanging hamstring look from the side, you know, and, uh, there's some other things to think about for sure. I just, it was an interesting experiment while I tried to keep things positive, you know, and I was just sort of I was almost shocked at how ineffective those things were for keeping my quad size up, you know, because I think one of the big things is I just, when you squat, uh, unless your feet are very narrow, you're really activating a lot of adductor, and that's a lot of meat on your, you know, medial side of your leg, on the inner side of your thigh there, you know what I mean? And by doing like a very strict kind of machine nautilus quad extension, you're just not invoking some, you know, like uh, I just squatted... uh, for my last workout because I started doing it again and I started back just with 275 and my adductors and my glutes are ruined I can barely sit down you know and it's because I haven't been I haven't been using them you know so uh, I don't know just sort of playing with stuff in the gym I guess hey um, we don't have a ton of time but obviously guys like you and I uh, what we do in the gym is intertwined with the research that we're doing so uh, maybe tell listeners a little bit about I know you've been speaking at a lot of NSCA events. You've got some coming up. What's happening on the science side with you? Well, now I'm doing my data collection for my disc. So um, we're about halfway finished. We started back in June. And <clears throat> typically we're doing the effects of eccentric contraction duration on max strength, power, some rate of force production, and some small um, indices of, of muscle damage. So <clears throat> guys come in, subjects come in. And they're randomized into one of three groups, like a two, four, six second group uh, in the squat. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. I mean, we're we are using the Smith machine. I know everyone's going to just like I'm start sending me hate mail and stuff. <laughs> but it's just it's just very difficult. And you know this, Lonnie. It's very difficult to really teach people how to squat effectively yeah. with best technique that they can do. You know, for themselves, individual, individually, and have them maintain that same technique throughout 
even just a short time period in, in a training study. So that's why we chose, you know, Smith Machine, you know, squat. It's still relatively the same movement pattern, but it's just a little bit different because, um, you know, there's less body control and stabilization and less, you know, muscle synergy um, in terms of, you know, muscle activation. But um, so if you can kind of visualize, you know, they go down a two seconds, four seconds, or six second on the eccentric and coming back up on the concentric is the same. So they're doing that twice a week for four weeks. And some of the pre-testing, we have them doing vertical jump, squat jumps with the Tendo unit with uh, 45% of their 1RM mm-hmm. uh, and doing an initial 1RM. And then they'll do four workouts. Then they'll do like a mid 1RM to see how much they possibly improved. And then they'll do four more workouts. Um, the vo- all the volume is four sets of six. Um, and 80 and 85% of their 1RM. And then the post-testing is they're doing the vert again, vertical jump, squat jumps with a Tendo unit, and uh, post-1RM. And, I mean, our results have just been incredible so far. Because our original hypothesis was the four-second and six-second groups would have the most decrease in strength and power output and the most soreness, and that has not turned out to be the case at all. Hmm. Why did you think that that's going to the longer descent into the hole would be worse? Well, because it's, it's a good question. And there's certainly many mechanisms by which like eccentric, you know, um, training increases like strength and power uh, and hypertrophy. But I, I I would think because I've done this on the free squat before, um, you have more time under tension. Okay. So time under tension is one of three main factors that help uh, facilitate, you know, hypertrophy you know of course and strength so you have time under tension metabolic stress and and muscle damage so the more time under tension you have then the more um possibility you have to invoke you know muscle hypertrophy so that was essentially what i was thinking at the time but but as we've been going through this most people have not been very sore at all and i just tested a guy on his last session the other day and his initial 1RM was 340. Now, keep in mind, this is just on the Smith machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 340 on that machine. His mid 1RM was 365. Mm-hmm. And his post was 400. Wow. And that was all just in a four-week period. And he was, like, in this four-second group. So initially, I mean, if you kind of think about it, people that do eccentrics, yes, you are doing more work. Okay, because you have a greater time time under tension, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's just a lot different when you're doing a multi joint exercise versus if you did like some bicep curls. You know, if you're doing bicep curls, I mean, you're not going to see the kinds of jumps in bicep curls as if you were like in a squat or you know back exercise or whatever you right. want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the results have been pretty interesting so far. We we don't have. Um, all the data collected yet and all the results, but uh, it's looking really good, and there's just a tremendous amount of application with this. All right, so bottom line then, I know you, it's just partly speculation because you haven't run all the stats and everything, but regardless of the duration of the negative, right, of the descent, of the eccentric portion of the lift, very beneficial. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I've always been a big fan of uh, that sort of eccentric stuff uh, because of the obvious hypertrophic effects, you know, activating satellite cells and all that. I mean, some of the 
times in my career, lifting career, that I got the biggest. I was doing lots of negatives. I mean, you got to be careful, I think, because the recovery timeframes are longer, obviously. You know, you could be sore for three days straight, you know, and I know what it's like to use a handrail to go up the stairs. So do you, you know, and for listeners who don't know, it's the negative part of the lift. It's the eccentric portion, the lengthening of the muscle while it contracts. That's what makes you so rocked. So, yeah, and so what John's doing here is answering a question. I, I don't think anybody's answered that before, right? Which is no, they haven't. a and, focus I mean, on how a, much time in the negative. Yeah, there's been a tremendous amount of research on eccentrics, but and, and there's been a lot on just time duration in terms of, well, you know, super slow or like max effort work and mm-hmm. things like that. But no one, and comparing concentric versus eccentric times like different times between the two muscle actions but no one has actually compared just varying the eccentric eccentric contraction duration only and keeping you know one or the other the same right so everybody's exploding upward at about the same speed right so you're keeping that fixed yeah 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 no that's cool well uh, you could hopefully keep us all posted in the final analysis you know what i mean so yeah yeah I'm, i'm looking I really like to be done by the end of the year, maybe January. So it's getting close. Okay. Hey, one last thing because we're almost out of time. Um, you're speaking at an NSCA event coming up, a personal trainers conference, right? Yeah, uh, actually, and I'm going to. I'm uh, leaving for San Diego uh, next weekend to talk at the uh, NSCA uh, Southern California State Clinic. Um, of okay. course, it's in San Diego, one of my favorite places, and uh, obviously very expensive <laughs> to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be good. I'll be talking about overtraining. And then I'll be going to uh, Washington, D.C. to talk at the NSCA Personal Trainer Conference in early October. So, And then that, and at that one, I'll be talking about eccentric training and application. Oh, sweet. So right from your lab, really, you know, data from your yeah. lab and stuff. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll have enough data to, to present at that one, but uh, I'll certainly probably talk about my study for sure. Oh, right. Insights, at least. Yeah. Hey, listeners, you might... Keep that in mind. I mean, because if that's a personal training event, that's not going to be too far on the, you know, egghead side of things. You know, uh, obviously we have some listeners who are hardcore scientists, but um, if you're in the D.C. area in October, do you know the exact date? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it's October 2nd through the 5th. Okay, 2nd through the 5th. Sweet. Um, I, I think it's really more the 2nd through the 4th. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Like I said, I just wanted to explore some gym talk. You know, it's fun to see what, uh, you know, just the thinking man's lifter. What do you? What do they do in the gym? You know, when life throws curveballs, or you know, like you, like your dissertation, you're balancing that with, you know, obviously your uh, competitive strength interests and and all that kind of stuff. So it's just fun to talk shop sometimes. Yeah, I'm hoping to do a max effort uh, deadlift sometime within the next month, month and a half, and. And see where I am with that, considering I've been doing sumo for the last several months. I'm, I'm hoping somewhere in the 630 to 650 range. Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, we will uh, catch up with you next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting 
supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.